you. I want to welcome visitors. I don't see any. any. I've seen some that are back a couple of times now, and so it's good to have you back. I'm Pastor Dan, if you haven't met me. The title of my sermon this morning is, Who Judges? My text is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. It's printed in the New King James in your insert in your bulletin, together with the sermon outline that I present for your easy reference. I pray with me as I generally do. I'm seeking God's fingerprints on this sermon. Psalm 19:14. Dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This morning, we're going to consider what I believe is the world's favorite verse. People who normally scoff at the Bible, reject its teachings, and ridicule its content love to quote this verse at just the right time to shut the mouths of their critics. I want you to listen to the following three statements. First, homosexuality is a sin. Homosexuals need to repent of this sin in order to be right with God. Two, all premarital sex is wrong. Two people living together out of wedlock are living in adultery. And three, abortion is moral murder. It is the killing of a human being and those who participate in it and those doctors who perform it are guilty of taking innocent human lives. Now, when such statements are made, the world immediately trots out their favorite verse in the Bible, Matthew 7, 1, Judge not that you be not judged. Now, this raises the question, should you be the judge? The answer of Jesus was not an unequivocal no, as some people think. The answer of Jesus was, it all depends. In our passage this morning, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, Jesus tells us to be watchful of three things, logs, dogs, and hogs. You've got to use some time of judgment, some type of judgment to identify any of them or perhaps all of them. And Jesus gives us here three principles to help us answer the question, should you be the judge? First, consider that destructive judgment is wicked. Our text, verse 1 states, judge not that you be not judged. And the word for judge here is the Greek word krino, which is a word which has 12 different shades of meaning it can mean to choose, to separate, to determine, to adjudicate, but sometimes it means to condemn in a censorious fashion, and that is the meaning of the word in this passage. Now, there is a difference between confronting the sin and condemning the sinner. John says in chapter 8 about a woman who was caught in adultery, and the Pharisees condemned the sinner. Each one had a rock in his hand ready to carry out the sentence. But Jesus confronted the sin and said to the woman, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, the Pharisees were guilty of self-righteous condemnation, but Jesus exercised sympathetic discrimination. 
Now the question is, how do you know when discrimination which is right becomes condemnation which is wrong? And I'm going to give you a simple formula. You can judge methods and means, but you cannot judge minds and motives. You can judge what a person does, but you cannot judge why a person does it. Judgment is wrong when you judge by the wrong standard and in the wrong spirit. You see, there's only one standard. We are to use to judge other people only one yardstick, only one measurement, and that is the word of God. When you judge others based on your own standards, your opinions, your feelings, then you are wrong. But you are wrong not to judge others when your standard is the word of God. It is never wrong to call wrong, wrong, when God calls it wrong. But listen, but judgment can still be wrong even if you use the right standard, if you do it in the wrong spirit. You see, the spirit of judgment must be corrective and constructive, not condemning, not critical. And someone has well said that you cannot judge a person by what others say about him, but you can judge a person by what he says about others. Now, there are two reasons why we cannot judge other people. First of all, we are fallible. It is dangerous to judge a situation when you don't know all the facts because you might jump to a hasty conclusion which is wrong and unjustified. See, I read about an owner of a manufacturing plant who decided to make a surprise tour of the shop. And walking through the warehouse, he noticed a young man just lazily leaning up against some packing crates with his hands in his pockets doing nothing. The owner walked up to him and angrily said, just how much are you paid a week? Well, the young man's eyes got rather big and he said, 300 bucks. The owner pulled out his wallet, peeled off three $100 bills, gave them to him and said, here's a week's pay, now get out of here, don't ever come back. Well, without a word, the young man stuffed the money into his pocket and took off. And the warehouse manager was standing nearby, staring in amazement. The owner walked over to him and said, tell me, how long has that guy been working for us? And the manager said, he didn't work here. He was just delivering a package. <laughs> you know, the Apostle James has something interesting to say about this matter of judging others. In James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, he states, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? There's only one who is able to judge correctly and rightly because he knows all the facts, and that is God. When you set yourself up as a judge over somebody else, you are playing God and you have no right to do that. And the Apostle Paul said in Romans 14.4, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. But another reason why we cannot judge others is because we are fallen. Our text, verse 3, states, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? 
See, none of us are perfect. We don't know the hearts of others. We don't even know our own hearts. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked and no man can know it. There is an age-old poem that says it well. Listen. There is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. Now, did you know that when you judge others, you are generally criticizing a fault that you yourself have? Romans 2.1 states, Therefore you are inexcusable, whoever you are who judge. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. You know, Jesus speaks of a person in verse 3 who's trying to judge the speck in one person's eye while he has a plank in his own eye. And the word for speck is the Greek word for splinter. And now a splinter is just a piece of a plank. Generally, when you criticize another person's fault, his fault is just a chip off your block. That's why Jesus said in verse 2, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, what Jesus was saying was this. The person who forms a noose of judgment for another person will soon find his own neck in the knot. I remember, maybe you do, when TV evangelist Jim Baker had his first moral indiscretion. It was uncovered. At the time, there was another TV evangelist who at that time had a worldwide ministry. And he came out publicly and excoriated Jim Baker and criticized him and said he should be removed from the ministry for at least two years. Well, lo and behold, this same TV evangelist soon fell into moral sin. His sin was uncovered, but rather than follow his own medicine, he left his denomination and lost his ministry, but then he just set up his own work. Beware of the person who builds himself up by tearing others down. Secondly, in your outline, consider that a diluted judgment is wrong. Again, verse 3 of our text with verse 4. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank of your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? See, the Lord Jesus gives a humorous but brilliant illustration of the problem with judging other people. He speaks of a person trying to remove a splinter out of one person's eye when he has a plank in his own eye. It reminds me of a man who walks into a psychiatrist's office with a fried egg on the top of his head and strips of bacon over each ear. And he sat before the psychiatrist and he says, I've come to talk to you about my brother. <laughs> That's about double the response I had from the first service. And I asked Regina at the beginning, I said, Regina, do you think they're going to catch this joke? She said, I thought it was funny, but I was afraid to laugh. No, <laughs> So do you know why this person could see the speck in his brother's eye, but he could not see the plank in his own eye? It's really very simple. He was looking for the speck. Every church has speck inspectors. I call them splinter specialists. 
They're part of the FBI, the Fundamentalist Bureau of Investigation, and they love to find fault with the other fellow. Is it not true that there is a general natural tendency to see our faults with a telescope while we look at others' faults with a microscope? That's why so often your faults look so much bigger to me than mine. And my falls look so much bigger than yours to you. You know, the easiest thing in the world to see is the fault which others own. The hardest thing in the world to see is the fault which you're condoning. We somehow think that, and even pastors are included in this, we somehow think that if we can blow out the other person's candle, it will make ours seem or burn brighter. And the more insecure you are, the more judgmental you will be. Envy digs up the dirt that jealousy throws at success. Now, verse 5 is the key to understanding this entire passage. I've said often that any text without a context is just a pretext. You're never going to understand verse 1 unless you link it with verse 5. Jesus tells us how to walk this tightrope between confronting sin and condemning the sinner. Verse 5 begins, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. Now notice what the Lord does. He condemns selfish judgment, but he condones self-judgment. Because the Lord knows that self-examination will eliminate selfish condemnation. Now he's speaking here to the hypocrite. It's just a step from the critical to the hypocritical and just another step from the hypocritical to the hypercritical. Now, you can be critical without being hypocritical, but you cannot be hypocritical without being critical. And what is the mark of the hypocrite? The hypocrite judges others to make himself look good. The humble judges himself so he can make others look good. You know, it's been said... The hand that makes, that means to make another clean, must it's not itself be dirty. I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who said, clean your fingers before you point at my spots. But the point that Jesus makes here is this. Once your fingers are clean, you can point. That is where the third principle comes in. In your outline, consider discriminating judgment is Wise. There are two words to notice in verse 5. The word first and the word then. Let's look at the entire verse 5. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Now many of us, and certainly the world, wants us to forget the first in the first verse. But to remember the then in the second verse. But what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You see, what Jesus was saying was this. We ought to judge ourselves before we can judge others. But more importantly, we are to judge ourselves so we can judge others. 1 Corinthians 11.31 states, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. 
It's only when you see your sins correctly that you can see other sins clearly. Only the person that is humble enough to see his own sin is healthy enough to see his brother's sin. Now listen. After David had been confronted with his sin with Bathsheba, he wrote the 51st Psalm. In that Psalm, verse 10 and 12, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. We sang that song this morning. But then after he had gotten his own sin confessed and up to date, he said, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Verse 13. I think it's important that we understand that Jesus is not forbidding all judgments. In fact, one of the marks that you are a spiritually mature person is that you know how to judge at the right time, at the right place, in the right way. 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You see, it's wrong not to confront a person with his sin. It is wrong if you don't. Listen to Leviticus 19.17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor, not bear sin because of him. If you love your brother, you will confront him when he is wrong. If you hate him, you will not. Refusing to confront a person about his sin is just as wrong as a doctor refusing to confront a patient about his sickness. Now, if you want to understand what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, which was, judge not that you not be judged, you must put it right beside it, what he said in John 7, 24, which states, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. I think that says it all. You cannot judge a tree by its leaves, but you can judge a tree by its fruit. You cannot judge a judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a book by its contents. The key is not to judge by appearance. There was a lady in an airport who bought a book to read and a package of cookies to eat while waiting for her plane. And after she had taken her seat in the terminal and began to read this book, she noticed that the man sitting one seat away from her was fumbling to open up this package of cookies. Well, she could hardly believe her eyes that a stranger would just open her bag of cookies and eat them. And he took another and he ate it. And she was so hot and steamed, she reached into the bag and also took one and ate it. Well, the man didn't say anything. He just reached over and took another cookie. When they finally got down to one cookie, the man reached into the bottom of the bag, broke the cookie in half, ate it, looked at the woman, got up and left. This woman couldn't believe this man's nerve. She was thinking to herself how fresh and arrogant he was. Soon the announcement to board the plane came. This lady got on the plane, still hot and bothered at the audacity of this man. She sat down, buckled her seatbelt, reached into her purse for a tissue, and there was her bag of cookies. Now, there is a moral to this sermon. 
If you want to escape the condemning judgment of God, then you had better judge yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior and accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior, for then you will never need to face his judgment. Amen. So as we go out into this world that God has placed us in, let us first judge ourselves so that we can be all that we can be. And secondly, let's allow God to use us as he deems for his purpose. I want us to view God correctly through his word. I want us to seek the true God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God. Amen?